0: Hello and welcome to the first part of our interview with Tina Shermer Sellers about sexual shame, how to erase it, how to overcome it, and great resources from her book about how to reclaim your body and your story. I'm not going to lie, this is probably one of my favorite interviews. Most likely, we've all experienced sexual shame. Funny story, that's basically how BBXX first got started. With so many sensitive themes like this though, we often think we're the only one. While it usually turns out, we're just one of everyone. Sexual shame is practically an epidemic in the US and is actually much worse than you've probably realized. It's also the reason why so many people keep their problems to themselves from sex to relationships to mental health, even though starting the conversation and destigmatizing something that's actually so normal is exactly what we all need and secretly want. Our guest on the show today is Tina Shermer Sellers. She's a professor at Seattle Pacific University, as well as the founder of the Northwest Institute on Intimacy and www.thankgodforsex.org. She's also most recently published her fascinating book, Sex God and the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy. Learn more on our website and social media at bbxx.world. Well, everybody, we are here today with Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thanks for having me. So, Tina is the author of the book Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy, and I had the pleasure of seeing her as a speaker at ASEC, the ASEC annual conference, and the topic of that was sexual shame in the United States and how it's so much worse than we realize. So I'd just like to touch <laughs> because I think we can all say that there is so much shame perhaps associated with the church and all of that, but... Even going back a step from that, and from my own personal experiences, how much shame is there even outside of the Catholic Church, outside of religion in general? I was raised with somewhat of a religious background, but would not by any means call me religious. And I went to a high school in San Francisco, California, had no sex education, and would say, looking back, even calling my experience a neutral one, The way that my experiences were shaped and my mind was shaped, the consequences were actually much more negative than positive. So in what sense is that kind of one of the problems we have, that the standard, kind of the neutral is actually this negative culture of shame? Right.
1: That's a fabulous question. You know, I think a lot of people think that it is the religiosity that creates the shame. But actually, what we find is, and what I've seen clinically, it's a combination of being denied access to sexual knowledge, which has been rampant for people for over the last 30 years. You know, we began withdrawing sex education in the United States with our abstinence only education programs, which began in the early 80s. And so we were denying kids access to sexual knowledge. So that is a huge aspect of what begins sexual shame, because you don't know what is right you don't know what is true and so silence and denial of sexual knowledge and and then if you are shamed for your sexual curiosity as you're growing up so every Or just about every two-year-old is going to, or 18-month-old, is going to find their pleasure places in between their legs when they're taking a bath or getting their diaper changed or whatever. And if the adult around them was also shamed for finding their pleasure places, their reaction is likely to be, don't do that, you know, slap their hand away or get upset with them. And... Then, you know, when they're five and they're with their cousin or their friend or whatever, and they're like, oh, here, look at, you know, my body's different than yours. And they're poking at each other and playing doctor. And somebody finds them doing that and gets all upset with them. Then there's shame again. And many times kids have shaming experiences several shaming experiences that they don't even remember but what sits inside of them is this sense that i'm not okay something is bad about me that has to do with my body they are naturally acting from a place of natural curiosity but somebody that they love gets super super angry with them and they have no idea why they're getting in trouble because they're just doing something that's super normal and natural. So they don't understand why this person is getting so angry, but they know it has to do with them. But what they they assume is it's the them, the whole of them, right? And so you have this combination of denial of access of information that continues through their whole life, really their whole growing up years, and then you have people getting really upset with them. And then the only other thing that we end up providing kids that have to do with sexual information is what the media provides, which really is we sell people and we sell bodies. And it's a very skewed idea of what bodies and sexuality are, what makes them valuable, what makes people valuable. And so it, it leaves people, regardless of whether it's religious or not, it, it leaves the people feeling shame. Now, what religious religion can add to that is it can add the message that if you do A, B, C, or D, God will be disappointed with you or will not love you or you know some other kind of message can get tacked onto it
0: right and I remember there's one part in which you mentioned that kind of people are shamed for and you don't use the word sexuality you use the word humanness and I thought that was incredible to kind of think of it in that way as it really is one of the most human things ever like the way in which human beings are sexual is what makes us different from other animals the way that we procreate is through sex and sexuality so by then relating it back to just our humanness and that being something that is shamed I think from that perspective it makes so much more sense or so much less sense and that people can begin to kind of understand how backwards that is rather mm-hmm. than with this cultural norm that, that we're currently experiencing. And right. so I think to also catch up our listeners a bit, or if you had a comment on that.
1: Well, you know, I think probably the context with which I was talking about that in is when you think about it, we are hardwired for connection and pleasure. And our sexuality is a part of that process, that mechanism if you will. We're born, we're come out of the womb and we're immediately seeking connection and pleasure. We're seeking the breast, we're seeking the body of the mother and we're rooting, that's the turning of the head towards the mother, um, towards the breast. And it's not because we're hungry because the milk doesn't come down for two or three days. Um, We are seeking that connection, we're seeking that pleasure, we're seeking that smell that is we're hardwired for that connection and pleasure we know that if little children, infants, and toddlers, if they don't get enough tactile loving touch, they'll actually have neurological damage. You can walk down the halls of an Alzheimer's unit and people who don't even have memory will still be seeking connection and pleasure with other humans. And it's one of the challenges for people who care for people in Alzheimer's unit is how to manage people who are seeking connection and pleasure actual sexual relationships with other people who they're living with because it is so hardwired in us so unlike other animals that might come into heat let's say at particular times of the month or of the year or whatever we actually are not just procreating at particular times we actually are seeking connection and pleasure throughout our lives and some of those times it might be have to do with have procreation but very very rarely does it have to do with procreation most of the time it has to do with connection and pleasure because we are a bonding creature and that is where our humanness is Um, it that's what it has to do with
0: And I think that's so incredible, really, to define it, the most human thing about us is connection. And also that this kind of shocking scientific argument behind that, that, you know, as infants before we've developed conscientiousness or Mm -hmm. after with Alzheimer's kind of the evidential proof of that this is hardwiring. If you take Mm -hmm. away that aspect and people are still seeking that same thing, I think that's incredible. Mm -hmm. So jumping a bit into your book, but to set the scene a little bit for for our listeners, if you could just maybe define exactly how does one define sexual shame? That's a great question. We actually didn't have an operational definition that
1: came out of research until uh, a little over a year ago and it actually one of our PhD students at the university that I teach at, at Seattle Pacific University, who had been following my work, actually wanted to do research on religious sexual shame and got into the literature and realized we didn't have an operational definition for sexual shame. So she ended up doing that research. So we had that foundational definition in place. And um, so if this is out of the work of Noelle Clark. And the operational definition that came out of her work says that Sexual shame is a visceral feeling of humiliation and disgust toward one's own body and identity as a sexual being and a belief of being abnormal, inferior, and unworthy. This feeling can be internalized, but also manifests in interpersonal relationships having a negative impact on trust, communication, and physical and emotional intimacy. Sexual shame develops across the lifespan in interactions with interpersonal relationships, one's culture and society, and subsequent critical self-appraisal. So what that's describing is it creates this continuous feedback loop. So like I said, it originally begins usually very, very young between the child and a really important other where they're getting... Uh, shamed for something that they don't understand, something very natural. And so then it creates this internal critic that says, something's really bad about me. And then it happens again. And then it reinforces that sense that something's really bad. So this internal critic gets going. And then the very next time that something happens that feels at all slightly negative, then that reinforces the internal critic. So now you have this feedback loop that just gets reinforced throughout their life that happens between them and someone else and then reinforces the internal critic. Then it goes on to say, there is also a fear and uncertainty related to one's power or right to make decisions, including safety decisions related to sexual encounters, along with an internalized judgment toward one's own sexual desire. And this is something that we see a lot, I think, clinically. And it was reinforced in Peggy Ornstein's book, Girls and Sex Navigating the New Landscape that just came out in 2017, where we see across the United States that we have lots and lots of young women feeling very powerful in every single area of their life until they go out for the evening and they'll put down three, four, five shots of alcohol simply because they don't feel like they have the right to keep themselves safe at night or that they can keep themselves safe at night when they go out and it's it's what we saw in our scene with the Me Too movement
0: Yeah. And I think that has such profound consequences in terms of the, as you mentioned, the Me Too movement and consent. With with that definition, I'd love to see through your work, the people you've worked with and the transformations that they've had. If you could kind of paint the picture of with, with that definition of sexual shame, what does that sound like? What does that voice sound like? What does that person's struggle look like? Yeah. Well,
1: I'll give you an example of an email that I got a while back. Um, and um, just so that your listeners can have a sense of how it might manifest in someone's life, and and this is uh, like a I would want to say a little more extreme, except for it's not really. But this is somebody who it, it's affecting them at this particular moment in their life in a way that feels extreme for them. And yet I want to say that this is somebody whose healing is very, very possible and they did heal and, you know, I mean, moved through um, their process of healing. And I, I talk about um, an evidence based healing model in my book um, and ways in which not only can you apply the model, but actual practices that people can do to heal. But but here's how the email came across initially. Um, Hi Tina, I do not know what to say other than to ask if you can help me. I have been trying to figure out what went wrong with my sexuality my whole life. I grew up in the church and I always had this view that God would send me a husband or whatever when it was his will or when I finally became the sort of person he wanted me to be. I felt so much pressure to be good but I was never good enough, you know? I'm only human. I see this now, but at the time, it was not clear at all. I'm 25 now, and unsurprisingly, God has still not sent me anyone yet. I'm honestly not religious anymore, but I still suffer from the insanely messed up sexuality I imagine I got from my upbringing. I think my mother had something to do with it because she is the sweetest person I know but I think she passed on this dismissive romantic idea to me. I think this combination of ultra religious sex is bad and something dismissive has led me to think the way that I do. In addition, I cannot believe I did not even start to realize I was so messed up until about a year ago. Now I think about it all the time. I know I am a sexual person. And I, can't, I can think about sex and fantasize about it normally. But when it comes to acting on anything, I close off and feel nearly numb. I am still a virgin. And I have little experience with much else. And I cannot honestly imagine that changing. I have guys that I'm attracted to. And I feel sexual in an abstract sense. But I never feel the desire to kiss anyone, much less do anything else. I hate it. It plagues me. Not to mention the shame I feel now from not even being able to measure up to the idea the non-Christian world has about somebody's sexuality. I feel like such a failure. I want so badly to be in a healthy relationship, but I think I'm too dysfunctional for it. I cannot imagine anyone would want to put up with this part of me. I mean, even if I did decide to power through and try to have sex with somebody I cared about, it's not as if I would suddenly be normal. I'm not sure I could ever get over this. I mean, I kissed a guy once and I couldn't deal with it emotionally. My body had such a strong reaction. It closed itself off completely and I never contacted that guy again. I do not know if I can explain what it felt like. It was not at all enjoyable and I just felt this profound blankness. After I wanted to hide my head in my hands and I could not handle it. I was fine with talking and cuddling but even kissing was too far too sexual. Can you understand what I'm trying to say? Anyway, that is where I am now. Sorry if it is strange that I'm writing you this, but I just don't know who else to talk to And it's 1.30 in the morning and all I want is to be well. I'm seeing a therapist now, but she does not seem comfortable with sex and I don't really feel comfortable talking about this with her anyway. I know I need help talking. I also do not think that she could understand the influence my religion has had on me. I really need help. Please tell me what to do. I do not want to be like this anymore.
0: People truly feel that maybe they're the only one going through this, that this isn't, you know normal, right. quote-unquote, yeah. if there were a normal. Yeah. Not realizing that big, they're big far part from of being alone. And that um, yes. sadly, this yeah. is much more common than it, than it should be. And secondly, the fact that a lot of therapists who, you know, people think of as professionals to deal with whatever humanness is. But as we just discovered sexuality being a huge part of what makes us human, that even therapists themselves are often not equipped for this type of thing. So what does that really say about, again, like the values of our culture and the the educational system in general? It's really true. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. You know, that was part of why
1: I wrote the book. You know, I wrote the book both for people like this for for people who have been affected by abstinence only education or by being in the church as well because it's just filled with story after story after story but i also wrote it to the therapist or the clinician who doesn't know how to walk alongside somebody like this because they never got the training to because we don't provide that training In any of the graduate programs across this United States, unless you go get specialized training in sexuality, it's just not there. And most people don't realize that. But like this young woman figured out, she could feel it. She could feel the uncomfortableness of her therapist and most people can eventually feel that from their therapist or their physician. Um, and I'm such a proponent of saying to the students, the marriage and family therapy to students that I teach, you must go on and get advanced training in sexuality. You must. You are not done learning until you go on and get more training. It is critical that you know more about sexuality and the interface of sexuality and religion in people's lives, because it can be profound in their lives.
0: You've got to understand it. Yeah, and I think what's so interesting, again, too, is to acknowledge that this young woman didn't even come from what we would call like a negative background. She didn't even explicitly say anything about, you know, abstinence, only education, like coming from what could possibly be really a mild upbringing bringing and having these Mm. consequences one can only then imagine like this is truly not even an extreme case, this is quite Common And so then if we think to the abstinence-only programs, these viral YouTube videos, you know, of the people who try and get around either some of the videos about the truly terrible and horrific things said and done in these abstinence-only education programs, or, you know, the the kind people are trying to help get around it by showing the sock on the shoe, condom. Uh Um, So for those kind of people in those extreme situations, but also, again, For just, I think anybody who could easily be experiencing shame outside of religion, you have this framework that you talk about the four elements of healing, religious, sexual shame. So yeah. How would we then kind of prescribe and strategically use that framework to try and help somebody in this type of situation? Well, again, I
1: really recommend getting my book because it goes over how we got here, you know, how this happened. So people understand that this was a history that was never meant to happen. It, and that really helps people understand, oh, my goodness, I just... I was actually taught the wrong thing. and We were actually never meant to be sex negative as a culture, as well as the church. That helps people understand they can still hold on to their faith. If they have a faith they want to hold on to, you can still hold on to it and be true to it. But the framework, I call it getting out of the mess, that the model for erasing sexual shame. And it's frame, name, claim a name. And frame is get yourself a framework of, Sex, solid sex education, and I have on my website and the website of the institute that I run, which is www.nwioi, which is the Northwest Institute on Intimacy. There's a resource page that has books on sex education that you can look at, read, understand your body. You need to have it's like your vocabulary, right? You need to understand your body. That's the frame, framework. The naming is telling your story and part of what the book is really good for is getting in a book group and reading the book with other people and having a place to talk about here's what happened to me, here's my story. We also started a website, myself and a bunch of students about five years ago called um, thankgodforsex.org, where there's about 30 people telling their story on video. It's kind of like the It Gets Better project that Dan Savage and his partner Terry Miller started for gay kids, I don't even know, 10 or 15 years ago. And that's a great place to hear stories. But tell your story. Find out that you're not alone, that You know, almost everybody has sexual shame. If you grew up in the United States, if you didn't have the good fortune to grow up in a family where talking about sexuality all the time was an okay, good thing to do. And then claim is learning to claim your body as a good, wonderful, wholesome thing, regardless of its shape and size. We're told constantly that our body is not good enough, exactly the way it is, Um, simply so that we go out and buy more crap, as far as I'm concerned, or change it in some way. I was just talking to my daughter who's 27 yesterday, last night, and she was saying that she's got friends already talking about Botox and surgeries at 27. It, you know, and this is this is what we're sold all right. the time, and it's ridiculous, yeah. you know, it's terrible. And what, so other corporations and co- corporate CEOs get rich? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. So that's claim, that's um, frame, name, and claim. And then when we do those three things, we begin to aim, which is write a new sexual legacy for ourselves that is sex positive, that we love, that we live into, and that we pass on to others that no longer has that sexual shame in it. And we begin to claim our lives loud, bold, and clear. And we change this BS that we have been in for generations because we deserve that our sexuality is one of the most vital dynamic luscious powerful parts of ourselves and we deserve to have it and have it out loud and stop having people tell us that it's bad and dirty or whatever because it's not it's vibrant and it's wonderful and it can be so good I mean, I think it's one of the most wonderful gifts we have as humans. And the fact that we've got people around us that tell us that it's perverted, yes, it can be used to hurt people, definitely, but it also can be used to heal us and heal our world. And we just don't have those
0: messages out there. And I think that's so incredible what you said kind of about the power and impact of it. And I I also just think it's so incredible how this framework, yes, for healing sexual shame, but literally for anybody right and kind of just for identity in general i don't i can't imagine there's a single person who, who couldn't be of benefit from this and using it for not even any insecurity but just developing your own identity connecting with themselves and living a more true version of themselves through this seems right just like an incredible thing to do and it should be taught everywhere yes Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to the BBXX podcast. You can learn more on our website or on our social media at BBXX.world. And if you believe in what we're doing, please do help spread the love by sharing this with someone you care about. Until next time.